Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello, and thank you for listening to Frontline with me, Jerome Starkey. Ukraine has ruled out a ceasefire, insisting any pause in the fighting would benefit Russia. We're in Kharkiv again, and this is a scene of yet another Russian My name is Jerome Starkey. I'm the defence editor at The Sun newspaper, and this is your latest roundup of the most important news from the war in Ukraine. We'll start today with President Zelensky's comments ruling out a ceasefire, temporary pause in the fighting. He was asked about this on a visit to Estonia and he was very adamant that any pause in the fighting would benefit Russia, that Russia would use it as an opportunity to regroup and rearm. Of course, this comes against a backdrop of both sides exhausting their stockpiles of weapons and ammunition. We know uh, that Russia has recently fired North Korean missiles into Ukraine. Uh, Zelensky talked about Russia trying to source North Korean artillery shells. And there's talk as well that Russia is trying to expand its defence trade relationship with Iran. It's already been buying uh, large numbers of these Shahid kamikaze one-way attack drones. Moscow also trying to source ballistic missiles from Iran as well. Talk of a pause in the fighting, of course, echoes uh, a lot of the demands which we've heard around the uh, Israel-Gaza conflict. Uh, Similar uh, reasons Israel gave for for being reluctant to pause uh, its assault in Gaza. In Ukraine, slightly different context. There is this simmering narrative uh, which we understand, or at least which Western sources uh, insist is Russian propaganda that Ukraine missed an opportunity to make peace in the first few months of the war. The suggestion was that on March 29th, when Russian and Ukrainian negotiators met in Istanbul uh, at a meeting convened by Turkey's President Erdogan, that they came to the cusp of a peace agreement. Indeed, it was that day that Russia's defence minister uh, announced uh, announced that the goals, what he said, the goals of Russia's special military operation had largely been reached uh, and one of Russia's top negotiators said that they were prepared to de-escalate. The Russian narrative is actually that British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, when he visited Kyiv about 10 days later, urged Zelensky to keep fighting. Now, uh, in the last few hours, Boris Johnson has categorically denied that. He's called it nonsense and Russian propaganda. The Ukrainian government has also uh, insisted there is no truth to those claims. Uh, Aides to President Zelensky said um, it became impossible for them uh, to broker any kind of peace deal uh, with Russia when the atrocities that had been committed in places like Bucha became clear. And those atrocities became clear as Russian forces retreated Uh, in March and April 2022 in the second and third months of the conflict. 
Uh, today we're also going to talk about the ongoing uh, Russian strikes across a Russian missile strike hit a hotel in the second city of Kharkiv in the northeast, injuring at least 11 people, including uh, a Turkish journalist and a Georgian citizen who was working for a Turkish news agency. Uh, luckily, uh, those 11 people appear to have all survived. This is at least the second strike on a hotel in Kharkiv uh, since Christmas. Uh, another major hotel, the Kharkiv Palace, was hit uh, on the night of the 29th to the 30th of December. Uh, these are both hotels that have been used by journalists. In August as well, uh, a double Russian missile strike uh, killed at least seven people in the eastern city of Pokrovsk, including one of those missiles uh, that hit a hotel used by uh, aid workers and journalists. This uh, has a particular resonance for me. Um, I've stayed in the Kharkiv Palace many, many times on my trips to Ukraine. Uh, I had been uh, very close to that hotel in Pokrovs just a few hours, uh, if I was eating in a restaurant next door to it, a few hours before that strike. Um, it's a reminder that these nightly bombardments continue. Ukraine's Air Force uh, spokesman Colonel Yuri Inhat has been uh, asked recently about whether or not more Russian missiles and drones are getting through. Most days Ukraine publishes a summary of what was fired uh, and what was shot down. It does seem that uh, there have been a couple of nights when more missiles, more drones appear to have got through. Uh, what the Air Force was saying is that their air defences are stretched. When, within a space of five days, um, either side of New Year, President Zelensky revealed that Russia fired 500 missiles and drones in two of the largest bombardments since the start of the war. Ukraine's air defences are stretched, particularly its most advanced systems, systems like the US Patriot uh, air defence batteries that are used to try and shoot down the most sophisticated, the fastest and perhaps the missiles that can manoeuvre from Russia. Uh, so depending on what Russia fires and where um, affects what gets through. The Republican Senator Mitt Romney appears to have issued a rallying cry to his fellow US Republicans about the importance of the war in Ukraine. He has said that Ukraine winning is in America's interest. He's framed this very much in the self-interest of Americans. And he's warned uh, his fellow politicians that if America is seen to walk away, then the message that sends to the rest of the world is that you can't count on America. Of course, this comes you know, only a couple of years after America did walk away from Afghanistan. And there's no doubt that both American and British prestige, uh, indeed NATO prestige, took a real knock from what happened as the Taliban seized control of Afghanistan uh, after, almost, well, after almost 20 years of NATO presence in that country. The message that Romney's delivering, Mitt Romney, of course, was a Republican presidential candidate. He's the man who lost out to Barack Obama uh, in the 2012 U.S. Uh, elections. That message is important. The timing of it is important because there is still $60 billion worth of U.S. aid held up by political wrangling in Congress. Republicans have refused to approve this aid bill that's been put forward uh, by the White House. Uh, the White House has warned that money for Ukraine is running out as a result. At the same time, there's still 50 billion euros held up in Brussels. The EU wanted to put forward a similar sort of aid package, although theirs spread out over four years, and it was vetoed by Hungary. Some whispers uh, in the last few days that Hungary may be softening its position. There's a suggestion that Viktor Orban might be willing to uh, remove 
his veto on the condition that any aid package to Ukraine is uh, reviewed on an annual basis. Ukraine desperately needs those funds to keep itself armed, to keep its troops in the fight. Uh, finally, two more points to make today. One is about the weather. The latest uh, defence intelligence update from the British Ministry of Defence talks about the weather. Ukraine is going through a cold snap. The ground is going to freeze. The weather plays a really important part in any conflict. In Ukraine, the frozen ground will make it easier for heavy weaponry tracked vehicles uh, to move around without sinking into the mud. Uh, but this cold weather may also be accompanied by heavy snow. That has the opposite effect. Uh, it makes it harder for some of those vehicles to move around. But nonetheless, worth keeping an eye on the weather as it changes. It may affect what both sides can do in terms of manoeuvrability. And the final thing I'd like to mention is what we've heard from the head of Ukraine's Navy talking about Russian-occupied Crimea. He has said that the Russian Navy will find it increasingly difficult to maintain itself as it appears to have been pushed out of its main base in Sebastopol. The Russian Navy has effectively retreated eastwards across the Black Sea, particularly towards Novorossiysk at the far, at the eastern edge in Russian territory, because of a, a series of successful missile strikes, principally by the Storm Shadow and Scalp cruise missiles uh, donated to Ukraine by the United Kingdom and France. These have hit and destroyed uh, a couple of Russian landing ships, a Russian submarine and the headquarters of the Black Sea Fleet in Sebastopol. That has precipitated the Russian retreat. What the head of the Ukrainian Navy was saying is that there are facilities in and around Crimea, in and around Sebastopol, that cannot be replaced or at least do not exist yet in Novorossiysk, particularly sort of repair yards, um, engineering facilities, which they don't have elsewhere. And that will make it harder for Russia to maintain its fleet. One of Ukraine's uh, priorities over the last few months has clearly been uh, degrading and damaging Russia's navy, uh, degrading those facilities in Crimea. It's not clear how they plan to exploit that, but certainly by pushing Russia's navy further eastwards, it has allowed them to maintain uh, their grain corridor, uh, allowing commercial vessels to hug the coasts uh, of the NATO members and indeed Ukraine as they come into the Black Sea. Thank you as ever for your questions. If you do have them, please make them in the comments. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll endeavor to answer uh, as many as we can in the next update. The first question uh, today is why is Russia allowed to fire North Korean missiles into Ukrainian territory, but Ukraine is not allowed uh, to fire Western missiles into Russian territory? Well, I mean, I think what this question is really about is, is some of the caveats that Western weaponry arrives in Ukraine with. We know the uh, US National Security Council spokesman John Kirby uh, announced last week that North Korean missiles had been fired into Ukraine for the first time. And he called this a significant uh, and concerning escalation, a sign of uh, the closer ties uh, that have been forged between Moscow and Pyongyang over the course of Russia's war. And of course, having those missiles, having access to North Korean missiles, bolstering Russia's war effort. Ukraine has access to Western weaponry, uh, not always as much as it would like and not always the weapons with a long enough range as Ukraine would like, but it does have uh, some American ATACMs. It does have uh, British Storm Shadow and French Scalp air-launched cruise missiles. 
the understanding is these w weapons have been given on the condition that they are not used to attack Russian soil. Now that is because Ukraine's Western NATO backers remain concerned that they do not want to escalate this conflict into a direct war between NATO and Russia. They are trying to avoid World War III while simultaneously supporting Ukraine. But it is worth pointing out that you know, Russia considers Crimea sovereign Russian territory. Uh, that was annexed in 2014 and has been occupied by Russian forces since then. Russia has held referenda, effectively uh, sham political theatre, rubber stamping exercise to absorb four partly occupied Ukrainian regions into uh, Ukraine. That's Zaporizhia, it's Kherson and it's uh, Donetsk and Lugansk. Uh, Russia considers those, those areas now sovereign Russian territory, but Western missiles, Western weapons are continually used to hit targets there. So there are restrictions. Those restrictions are ultimately uh, about trying to avoid World War III. Question number two is why are we seeing less footage of the war in Ukraine? It's a really good question. Um, I think it's partly uh, because of the attention that is being given to other conflicts around the world. Uh, a lot of the world's attention is going towards Israel and Gaza and more recently towards the Red Sea, where we've seen US and British warships shooting down missiles and drones. Uh, partly possibly an element of what's known as Ukraine war fatigue. We're approaching the second anniversary of this conflict. It's been going for a long time. Uh, and, you know, there's a sense in some quarters that there's an element of sameness and repetitiveness to this grinding conflict, particularly while the front lines aren't moving. But all of that aside, the footage is there. The fight is continuing. If you look for it, I still see it. I look for it, I still see it. Uh, the fighting is continuing. Uh, you can find it particularly you know, in areas like Avdivka, where Russian forces continue to throw huge numbers of men uh, to, in their attempts to capture this town in the east. A uh, little bit emerging from Kherson in, in the south, where Ukrainian forces are holding the bridgehead that they've managed to obtain on the left bank of the Dnipro River. Question number three is why is America not providing the weapons that Ukraine needs to win in a timely fashion? It's a really good question because it's really simple and, and on one level it suggests that if America uh, just gave the weapons now then the result of this conflict would be a foregone conclusion that Ukraine would win. Unfortunately, you know, I think it's not that simple even if uh, America gave all of the weapons that Ukraine is asking for now, it's not a given that uh, Ukraine would necessarily uh, win. That's for two reasons because if America gave everything Ukraine wants, there's a chance this conflict could, could escalate, could spiral into something bigger and Russia might be tempted to uh, hit back in other areas and they may consider it a direct confrontation and that's the sort of escalation, the background fear of this spiralling into World War III that both sides are eager to avoid. And the other point to make is that you know Russian forces are now very very heavily dug in, it's very hard to remove them, there isn't a magic bullet. I mean, you, the head of Ukraine's armed forces, General Valery uh, Zeluzhny, has made that point. I mean, he described it as a stalemate. President Zelensky disagrees, but Zeluzhny said he didn't think there was a technological solution that would create, you know, in his words, the clean and beautiful breakthrough. That's why what we've seen is more of a focus on degrading supply lines, uh, strikes behind the front line, particularly from 
the Ukrainians uh, hitting railway lines, hitting airfields, hitting ammunition dumps, hitting uh, anti-aircraft defences uh, to try and make it harder for them to fight on the front. Effectively, part of this conflict is about not just punching through front lines, but where that's impossible, degrading the will and the ability of the soldiers to wage war. That isn't to say that had America, and indeed the West uh, more broadly, given Ukraine more weapons more quickly, uh, that the outcome may have been very different, uh, that Ukraine might have been able to take more ground more quickly. Of course, we can remember what happened in Kharkiv in the northeast, in Kherson in the south. When Ukraine did make these lightning advances uh, in Kharkiv, that was because the Russians appeared to just be unprepared for the effect of the HIMARS uh, multiple launch rocket systems, which America and the UK donated. Similar story in Kherson, although in Kherson it was the advent of these missile systems that led the Russians ultimately to retreat because they decided that they couldn't keep their forces resupplied. But the Russians learned, they have subsequently learned the lessons of those conflicts. They are generally dispersing their forces, dispersing their headquarters, keeping their ammunition uh, stockpiles further away from the front lines, out of range of these weapons. And of course, every time a new weapon arrives, uh, that sort of precipitates a new learning process. And the fourth and final question for today is where are the Abrams tanks? Where are the Challenger 2s that were donated to Ukraine last year? Of course, worth adding to that, you know, where are the Leopards uh, that the Germans and many NATO allies which were using Leopard tanks also donated? We saw one Challenger, we saw a couple of Leopards in the summer counteroffensive, which Ukraine launched in Zaporizhia in the summer. Uh, one of those Challenger 2s uh, had been hit by uh, Russian rockets or Russian drone, I think it was actually. Um, the reason we haven't seen them since is that when those tanks were brought to bear in that conflict, uh, they were, some of them were destroyed. Ukrainian forces, despite the armour, were unable to punch through the Russian front lines, principally because of the sheer weight of mines that slowed them down. And that combination of mines and surveillance drones and loitering munitions. So as the Ukrainians hit the minefields, hit these well-dug-in, well-prepared defences, Russian artillery guns, Russian drones were able to hit them and inflict uh, severe losses. The tanks, uh, the Abrams, the Challengers, as far as we know, are um, in storage effectively, but they're not, certainly not in any great warehouse. They are dispersed across the country. Uh, I was told at one point in, in groups of no more than two tanks being kept in one location to avoid the risk of them being discovered and destroyed. I think there's every chance they might be brought to bear uh, in the conflict in future. But part of the question is why aren't they being used uh, in Kherson where there's fighting on the left bank? Well, on the left bank particularly, Ukrainians have established a bridgehead, but it's very difficult to get heavy armour across the Dnipro River. Uh, and once you do have heavy armour over there, it becomes exposed uh, to Russian artillery and drones as before, um, especially if it doesn't have a large area to manoeuvre or conceal itself. Uh, also in Avdivka, the Ukrainians principally in a defensive position there, uh, repelling Russian attacks. The tanks more likely to be brought to bear uh, in an offensive operation as and when that comes. At the moment, uh, the mood music from Ukraine is that actually they continue to dig in. And the last few days, we've heard reports that they're laying more and more mines on their northern frontier, north of uh, Chernihiv, which is north of Kyiv, uh, along the border with uh, Belarus.
uh, and Russia. They're, they're, they're preparing defences. Thank you again for watching. Thank you again for listening. If you are listening, then please don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, please don't forget to ask your questions in the comments and we will do our best to answer them for next time.